Wednesday Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. We've got a very special edition of Comms Day Live this week, looking um, in totality at the Comms Day Summit 2021, which we held at Sydney's Fullerton Hotel last week. Uh, there are a lot of speakers across the two days, in fact, over 40 speakers. We're going to focus on some of the keynotes today. Um, we'll be hearing a little later from Tilstra CEO Andy Penn, who offered, I guess, for want of a better phrase, offered a sort of bird's eye view of where he thinks the industry is heading at the moment in his keynote presentation. We're also going to talk to uh, Rowan Pierce about what Symbio Networks had to say about number portability and the presentation from Hyper One, Bevan Slattery's new fiber play. We're also going to talk to Simon Ducks about what the minister, Paul Fletcher, had to say and also some interesting developments from Focus in regards to the Leosat market. But first, we're going to hear from Optus's CEO, Kelly Bayer-Osmarin. She gave a really interesting presentation where she introduced a new concept that I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about in coming months and years called Optus Living Network. Now, there's, there's quite a lot to it, and, and I'm, I'm going to let Kelly express this in her own words in a second. But I think the, the best way to look at what Optus is trying to do is, is sort of what Uber did to the taxi industry. Uber didn't build new taxis or hire drivers. What it did was develop an app and give you a new way to interface um, the ordering of, of a transport service and to put the customer in control of that experience. And it seems that that's what Optus is trying to do with Living Network. But r- rather than hearing my words, let's hear what Kelly had to say about it. So as the conduits of connectivity, the enablers of today's most revolutionary tech, we must ask ourselves, are we relevant to 2030's customers? Yes, we are. We most certainly are. Optus has considered what the backbone of our business, our network, must be to meet customers' needs in 2030. And more broadly, what role our business will play in the lives of our customers. And we are delighted to unveil our vision today, a vision to invigorate our network beyond its utility in a way that is so unique, so alive, that it captivates customers. So today I present to you the Optus Living Network. It's a network that isn't static and fixed, but one that comes alive in your hands at the touch of a button. It's not any more about dollars for gigs but unique features that enable the network to adapt to our customers' needs at their demand. And we've already started rolling this out. But before I provide you with a few examples of how the Optus Living Network might look for a customer, let's start with our experience today. In my family, which is not dissimilar to many families, the ability to connect is a given, it is expected much like the ability to flick a switch to turn on a light. With my daughters, their ability to connect means hours on TikTok, some Zumba on OS Fitness, and lots of time spent on YouTube watching old episodes of Friends. I know, go figure. For my husband and I, it's instant news, watching our Optus Sport and laughing over the good place on Netflix. And as a family, we pore over photos, posting the perfect holiday pics on Instagram, in between movie nights, checking in on our socials, or on each other and friends and colleagues, wherever they happen to be in the galaxy. 
Not once while we do all those things do we think about the key enabler of the entire experience, our connectivity. Except if it doesn't work. If that signal disappears for a few minutes or a page takes more than one second to pop into focus or that movie takes too long to download, we become outraged. Currently, we only think about telco networks if they aren't there. The Optus Living Network is poised to change that perception. The Optus Living Network places control into the hands of our customers to let them decide how they use our network and engage with us. Let's start with our customers' network experience. In the past, that has been hidden. Now, it can be exposed. And when we're speaking of experience, we can consider how customers feel about their use of our network. So we can provide them with environmental and social causes that matter to them. Our first foray into this is our Donate Your Data features. If you have excess mobile data, you have the option to donate it to underprivileged Australian youth. It is tremendously powerful for Optus customers to participate in programs like this because it truly makes a difference. And that, I believe, is what matters to people. To date, our customers have donated in excess of 25 million gigabytes of data that has helped more than 14,000 young Australians in need. And we have created the tool for customers to do this simply in just a few clicks in the My Optus app. And the MPS is off the charts. Customers control the living network to shrink the digital divide. And knowing you are making a difference is a powerful feeling. Another example is when you need more mobile data to enjoy that rainy Saturday afternoon Mandalorian marathon. Our living network offers an unlimited day-to-day boost through a couple of taps via the My Optus app. This little $5 add-on gives you unlimited data use during a 24-hour activation period. So even if a customer has already exceeded their data allocation, they can still have that injection of data when they need it. It gives customers more options and flexibility instead of throttling their service. I recently heard a lovely story from a customer who had a real in-the-moment need for the unlimited day-to-day and not for something that we could have predicted. The customer wrote in and said, I needed to live stream a very good friend's funeral, which I couldn't travel to. I didn't know how much data it would take, so I chose to add on for $5 a day. It was nice to have that safety net there for such an event. It really gave me peace of mind. Another living network feature is all around gaming. If you want to prep for a day of high-intensity online team gaming, why not improve your latency through our GamePath service? GamePath typically reduces lag by 30%, making it a gamer's ultimate secret weapon against packet loss and jitter which are critical to winning those intergalactic online battles and the accompanying bragging rights that go with them. We are making the services that our customers love work even better through our living network. 
Another facet of how Living Network comes to life is in enhancing our customers' well-being. If, like my connected family, you occasionally need to take a time out while you enjoy a Sunday night family dinner without notifications and interruptions, you can just activate Optus Pause. Optus Pause places all the mobile and household devices on the Optus network on a brief hiatus so the dinner table becomes about real conversation, not online chat or interruptions. What's truly unique about Optus Pause is that we are not just doing the equivalent of putting one device into flight mode or switching off the plug on the modem. We are giving our customers the control to simultaneously pause any or all of their devices at a network level. It's quite profound for a network that's not built to be controlled by the push of a button on an app from a single customer. Personally, I love Optus Pause because as a working parent, it means that I can enjoy the precious moments I might miss with my family. And for my family, it means that they can enjoy time with me without work interruptions edging in all the time. Today, I wanted to exclusively preview one of the most exciting new Living Network features, Call Translate. One of the things that I love about Australia is its diversity. We are one of the most multicultural countries by light years. The last census showed that more than 20% of Australians, that's 5 million of us, speak another language at home. And in a country like ours, in which around 300 languages are spoken, consider what it would be like to eliminate comprehension challenges that speaking a different language can sometimes impose. So imagine you want your English-speaking child in Sydney to chat easily over the phone with their Italian-speaking nonna in Melbourne. Or, when English is a second language, consider the ease of simply booking a medical appointment or managing an over-the-phone customer service inquiry. Call Translate solves language barriers for our customers. It is quite simply the ability in a native call to enjoy a real-time conversation translated into the language of your preference. In real time. This allows new Australians from non-English speaking backgrounds and English speaking customers to enjoy the freedom of communicating meaningfully. We are working with Google who have partnered with us to provide the natural language translation. But what's completely unique is that we digitalize the voice by translating the voice traffic in real time over a simple phone call. These examples are just a few of the customer-in-command features that Optus has brought to life as part of building a living network. And there are many more features like this currently in development. The Optus Living Network has just been born and it will continue to grow and develop. Well, I um, have a feeling this is a pretty big announcement in the grand scheme of things. The proof of the pudding will, of course, be in the execution. But if Optus can pull off what it hopes to, this is going to be a pretty revolutionary development in the way people consume telecommunications in Australia. And it just might be something that their major competitors want to keep an eye on and perhaps emulate if they want to keep up.
Telstra CEO Andy Penn was also a keynote at Comms Day Summit last week. And um, he took a different tack in his presentation. He decided to look at the industry as a whole and playing into a theme that he's been discussing in other fora, namely the digitisation of the Australian economy. His presentation to Comms Day Summit focused very much on what telcos need to do to assist that process. And he feels that they themselves need to undergo some pretty significant disruptions to pass muster in the future. Let's hear from him in his own words. I think we're all aligned on the criticality of our industry and the fact that telecommunications will be the foundation of the next industrial revolution. I also believe that most policymakers and political leaders understand this too. The federal government's focus on making Australia a leading digital economy by 2030 is a great example and we are fierce supporters of this goal. But our success as an industry is not guaranteed and there are a number of things that we need to address if we're going to deliver the kind of technology-enabled future that everybody aspires to. As I think about the last 18 months and what we have learned, what we have experienced, I think it helps paint a clearer picture of what we need to achieve as an industry in the next decade and what we need to do to get there. Now, there are five points that I want to share in this regard with you today. Firstly, we must further improve customer experience. Our industry as a whole needs to get better at meeting our customers' expectations around products and services and network delivery. We need to earn and keep our customers' trust. And I know that at Telstra we still have some way to go in this, but I'm confident with the simplification and digitisation that we are driving through our T22 strategy we're going to get there. We have also made great strides in simplifying plans, removing pain points, unexpected fees and charges. But for an industry, this has been a long time coming and winning back your customers' trust takes time and an absolute focus on doing business responsibly. I know customer service is fundamental to all of us, but across the industry, TIO complaints are still too high and we know we're not up to the standard we need to be yet. Secondly, our goal must be to use technology that best meets a customer's needs based on their specific situation. As an industry and as a nation, we need to be more technology agnostic. Over the years, we have spent a lot of time debating technologies. Some would say a lot of wasted time. I say this because innovation is happening so quickly that technology-specific policy and regulation will never keep pace. The industry's investment in 5G highlights the range of technologies that RSPs today have to deliver their customers a different customer experience based on their situation and needs. LeoSats is also another interesting emerging technology. I want to be clear though that 5G versus the NBN is not a binary conversation that some are saying and that we read in the media. It's not about one or the other. It has to be a focus on what's the best technology to meet the specific needs of a customer. For the majority of fixed customers, that's going to be the NBN, but there will of course be some customers for whom 5G will be the better answer, and that is what we're focused on. Just on a short tangent while I'm on the topic of 5G, I want to comment on the proposed limits to the upcoming 850 900MHz spectrum auction recently released by ACMA. I cannot disagree strongly enough with the idea of limiting our access to vital spectrum. All the limits will do is punish our customers, especially our customers in regional Australia, 
and reward providers that could have bought Spectrum in earlier auctions but chose not to do so. We believe the forthcoming auction should have fair limits but not at the expense of our customers, particularly customers in regional Australia. My third point is that as a country, we need to accelerate our digital adoption. Every business, every industry and government department should have a plan to move to a digital future. COVID saw some great examples and we need to accelerate this change. It means that the old adage that every company needs to be a technology company has never been more true or more urgent. It also means that high quality, fast, reliable and secure telecommunications networks have never been more important. Fourthly, to help facilitate this, we need to align and get laser focused on cyber safety to ensure our networks, IoT devices and connected things are protected, safe and resilient. Australia is under constant attack from a range of malicious actors and the volume and sophistication of these attacks is unprecedented. No one is immune. For businesses, failing with the simple stuff like protecting passwords is often the first step to protecting the first advanced attacks. The same attacks that lead to stolen passwords can result in devastating ransomware that cost billions of dollars to businesses. Cybersecurity is a team sport and everyone must do their best to protect their networks, their customers from cyber threats. When industry and government work together, we can pool our resources and our knowledge to help make Australia a harder target for today's malicious actors. And my fifth and final point is around AI. It is increasingly shaping our businesses, our institutions and our lives and our futures. We've only just begun to see the real potential of artificial intelligence, but there is no doubt its impact will be felt in every aspect of our lives. We need to have more frequent and transparent conversations about AI and how we ensure that we are building it in in an ethical way that leads to fairness, equality and trust. This is going to take collaboration with government, such as working with the Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources in defining and operationalising their AI ethics principles, establishing a governance structure so that our decisions align to our appetite for risk, failure and success. We also need to build strong independent checks and balances that build upon the views and works of academics, ethicists and community members. The pace of disruption and innovation today may seem fast, but I believe it will never be as slow as it, again as it is today. We need to prepare now, not just for change, but exponentially more change. Disruption is creating challenges, but we have the ability to rise to these challenges. And not just to do that, but to turn these challenges into opportunities. Our networks and our technology innovations are central to this response. If we can make significant progress on these five ideas, I truly believe our industry can deliver the kind of future that we all want to be a part of. And I look forward to working with all of you on this. Thank you. Well, we're continuing our look at Comms Day Summit 2021. We've got Simon Ducks, the chief editor of Comms Day, in the studio with us. Hi, Simon. Hi there, Graham. But the big keynote at Comms Day Summit last week was from Focus, and Chief Operating Officer Ellie Sweeney told us about a new project they're embarking on called, called Project Horizon, which will establish a network of both new and existing fibre between Port Hedland and Perth, 
Fire Newman, Megathara, and Geraldton. Uh, they're also going to be um, upgrading some of their other existing fibre links around the country. They say they're already upgrading Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide to four, four times greater capacity, um, Sydney, Brisbane to 20 times more capacity, and Adelaide, Darwin, Brisbane, 25 times more capacity. So some pretty big things happening at Focus. But that's not all that's happening there. Um, on the second day of Comms Day Summit, Michael Ackland, who's pretty much their, their guru when it comes to special government fibre projects, gave a presentation and told us about a very interesting focus, pardon the terrible pun there, uh, a focus that focus is embarking upon. Tell us all about it, Simon. That's right, Graham. And uh, picking up on the, the fibre uh, uh, Michael was uh, very keen to uh, point out uh, about the fact that uh, Vocus's current infrastructure, 15,000 kilometres of fibre around Australia, essentially has uh, edge facilities every 100 kilometres right along the network. And uh, the key thing with those is this entire new segment that Vocus is really keen to uh, actually get a good chunk of is uh, ground stations across Australia. We know that uh, uh, the low Earth orbit satellites are going to become uh, very important to Australia uh, going forward, particularly uh, given the uh, geographies we're talking about. These things need to be supported by ground stations. Uh, The Horizon announcement is going to help boost some of that. And uh, interestingly, uh, you know, it gives them a lot of uh, potential to actually uh, become the uh, fibre partner of choice for a lot of these emerging ground stations. And uh, you have to remember that uh, Vocus uh, got a uh, MM Wave uh, KA Spectrum uh, license as well at the end of last year, and that's specifically uh, to uh, connect up to these low Earth orbit uh, satellites. And the other interesting thing that came out of the uh, uh, discussion that uh, Michael had was that uh, Vocus uh, is one of a number of vendors that have just invested in some uh, technology that's uh, come out of CSIRO. And uh, it's it's really interesting because uh, what it is, is some ground station uh, technology, basically uh, antenna technology. And what it does is uh, it um, has electronically steered phased array technology, which emulates uh, the behavior of a traditional parabolic antenna and it doesn't require the antenna to mechanically track satellites across the sky and the key thing for that is that what that means is that uh, the leo satellite fleets won't need as much ground infrastructure so you can see why vocus has gone in and uh, put some investment in the back of that and uh, picking up on one of the wider uh, discussions uh, that michael had Uh, was the fact that because of all of this technology, which is really uh, kicking on ahead of regulatory um, uh, where we are in the state of play, he uh, again reiterated that uh, the government needs to really start looking at the circa $1 in subsidy uh, program for a whole number of various regional and remote uh, activities and uh, investments and uh, cross-subsidies between Telstra and MBN, and uh, perhaps with the advent of LeoSats, that it's time to start looking at all of these and the policy implications. Okay. Um, Moving on, um, Communications Minister Paul Fletcher um, put in in an appearance at Comms Day Summit this week, and he, he has some very interesting things to say about the competitive landscape 
That's right. It was interesting because uh, we we have heard uh, Minister Fletcher talk before about the fact that he is looking for competition in the marketplace. But this time he actually was uh, spelling it out, essentially. He saw the fact that uh, MBN, which he made uh, the comment that he doesn't want uh, the government to force Australians to be on the MBN, uh, has three key uh, competitive uh technologies now, 5G, fixed wireless and LeoSats. Now, uh, picking back up on the LeoSats, um, it shows you uh, the sort of level that they're playing at now. Uh, he mentioned the fact that he'd already met with Miriota uh, and Starlink uh, and also Link Global, which, uh, as you recall, we wrote about those guys and their innovative way of actually getting uh, satellite down to uh, current handsets as opposed to any sort of specialized handset. So you can see that uh, he himself is looking at a lot of this technology and understanding that it's really going to make some impact. On the fixed wireless side, he uh, discuss uh, the guys that we've also written about Beam Internet in South Australia and uh, some of the regional work that they're doing there uh, with uh, some innovative uh, dark fibre and also uh, fixed wireless uh, that they've rolled out to quite a huge area um, as well. I think it's something like 20,000 square kilometres of coverage in South Australia, which isn't bad going. And of course, he picked up on 5G, uh, which uh, we write about a lot of times, uh, pointing out that it was the fifth fastest average 5G download speed globally now, uh, according to Open Signal. And uh, with the auctions coming up, he expects that there's going to be quite a bit of coverage, uh, sorry, competition coming in on the back end of uh, 5G against MBN. Okay, thank you for that, Simon. All, all very interesting from the minister. And, and particularly, he's, he's always had a theme that, hey, I might be the, the minister for Monopoly MBN, but I do believe in competition. And it is interesting that he's identified the three vectors, 5G, fixed wireless, and Leosat networks. And, and as we're seeing with some of the pre-budget announcements, um, ba- backing up his words of dollars, because there's money going into some of these uh, operators through through such things as the 5G Innovation Fund and, and uh, some of the regional communication subsidy programs. So in fact, there's even a new one for out-of-suburban metro areas, such as Barawa in Sydney. So no one misses out. Thanks again, Simon. Thank you, Graham. We're continuing our look at the Comms Day Summit for 2021 with Rowan Pearce, Executive Editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. Now, we were just talking uh, before in the podcast about Focus's announcements regarding their fibre expansion in Western Australia. Um, now, we, we also had the, uh, I guess, the, the putative challenger to the focus crown for regional fibre um, at the conference, uh, Hyper One. Now, Hi- Hyper One um, was announced by Bevan Slattery earlier this year. Bevan was slated to appear, but he was fogged in at Brisbane Airport, so he couldn't make it down. Um, so uh, the CEO of Sub.co, or another one of Bevan's companies, <laughs> stepped in to substitute for him. But nevertheless, we, we got the whole lowdown on the Hyper One project. Tell us all about it, Rowan. Yeah, sure. So uh, I think obviously yeah, it was very interesting kind of having these, um, like both these big kind of fiber announcements really at, um, at the Comstate Summit. Um, so yeah, like you said, Jim Clark spoke on behalf of um, Hyper One. So he gave a bit of a rundown of kind of basic stats behind the, the project 
which we have heard before, 20,000 kilometres of fibre, $1.5 billion worth of investment and estimated 10,000 jobs. He also said that it would offer up to 10 times the fibre capacity of um, existing cables. Um, so slated to be completed probably in late 2024, he said. But the kind of really interesting thing that, um, that wasn't an announcement at the summit was that um, Hype One's actually struck an exclusive deal uh, or was described as an exclusive deal with Fibersense, which is an interesting little company that we've reported on before. In fact, I think you've reported on before, which is also backed by Vervin. So it's a kind of, it's a Vida company. I, at least I assume that's how you pronounce it. Vida, Vida. <laughs> as in Darth, yes. <laughs> Vega company. Anyway, which stands for vibration detection and, and ranging. And it's kind of, it's very cool technology. So it's really about detecting kind of like minute vibrations using um, uh, optical fiber, including like existing optical fiber. So what Jim said was basically that meant that Hyper One would be able to detect any kind of like attempt to interfere with or, or damage the network. I mean, either deliberately or through, you know, some farmer accidentally running a kind of a backhoe back a backhoe through a cable um so i i think that was a, yeah that's that's quite interesting obviously it's been used um quite a few places internationally but this will be the the only kind of national backbone network that'll have the technology okay moving on um one of our keynote speakers at comms day summit last week was Rene sugo now Rene wears a couple of the caps he's the ceo of symbio networks and MNF group, not not mutually exclusive. They're all part of the same organisation. Now, for those who know uh, what Rene focuses on, it's mainly the voice market. And in his keynote, he had some very interesting observations to make about the state of number portability in Australia. Tell us all about it, Rowan. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning that um, Rene obviously has one of the most impressive beards in the industry it's getting more impressive by the summit i think um he always gives out really interesting presentations i find too at um at comstay so yeah big issue number portability obviously during the kind of the height of covid the covid lockdowns here there was controversy after telstra suspended local number porting i actually just saw recently that the acma um had hit it with a 1.1.5 million dollar fine over the issue so that's that's kind of like a bit of context for Renee's comments. The other thing, though, was that you know he has this broader kind of ongoing criticism that he has raised at previous summits too, which is basically he wants some sort of regulatory intervention to really set service level guarantees in terms of the length of time it takes to port a number. It's a real bugbear of his, um, and he, I think he said it can take up to like you know a month in some cases or even longer. Mm-hmm. So in the kind of context for his remarks on numbers as well. It's what he called a competition health check across the kind of mobile fixed broadband and fixed voice space. Um, so that was his big bugbear on the kind of the fixed voice side of things. On the mobile side of things, he called for like more service level competition. So he gave examples of, you know, supporting thick MVNOs or, or supporting more kind of spectrum and tower sharing. And then on the fixed broadband side of things, his main message seemed to be that, um, you know, there's infrastructure competing with MBN potentially like Starlink emerging and that should be allowed to flourish. Thank you very much, Rowan. Cheers. That's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you next time.